Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today we will discuss episode twenty-one of the story of Yanxi Palace or Yanxi Gonglue. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. For this episode, we will do a drama episode recap and then go into history and culture discussed in the drama. After doing a deep dive on this episode to write the recap and analyze it, I did realize that the plots against Ying Luo I feel like might be a little too simplistic or at least a little too theatrical. Good thing each plot only takes place for like half an episode, so you don't have to think too much about it. And you're like, "Oh, this is great! Yinglo is so smart." But if you think、uh, more in depth, you're like, "Hmm, this was way too easy, or at least too coincidental." But regardless, we will go over what exactly happened. We ended the last episode with a whole rant about the emperor's birthday celebration. And how the instruments were not period accurate, well, mainly me. But now we turn back to the real plot at hand. Shu Guan has been hoping to join Gao Guifei or noble consort Gao's camp, and to do so must prove herself useful. The only condition to be a part of that camp is to be useful in getting rid of Wei Yingluo. And so they use the emperor's birthday gift of the beautiful Buddha tower with the priceless Buddha relic or shulizi as bait. The small little tower with the relic has been put in storage for Yingluo to watch, but Mingyu immediately took over the task in order to gain favor. This was not said publicly, so everybody believed it would have been Yingluo's fault if anything happened. In any case. At the end of episode twenty, there was a dazzling display of fireworks that distracted all the maids, leaving the storage room empty. But Ying Luo and Ming Yu find, upon returning, that the relic has been stolen. Chen Zhu, the other maid who was supposed to watch these gifts, revealed that she did see the outline of none other than Shu Guiren walk out of the room when she returned from the fireworks. I just want to say that this was rather rudimentary on Shukran's part. Like, why do this yourself? You could have told a eunuch or a maid to go grab the、uh, the relic, but why would you personally go do this? I feel like this is something that Qi、uh, Arha from Jin Huanzhuan or Qi Guiran would do, meaning that it's not very smart. Ying Luo and Mingyu are both extremely worried now because of what punishment awaits them, as well as possibly the Empress, if they are found to have lost this priceless relic. But they believe that Shu Guiran probably could not have had an opportunity yet to move the relic outside of the hall, meaning it must still be on her person. So they devise a plan to retrieve this relic. At the main hall, the emperor, empress, and the rest of the palace are enjoying a dance performance. Ying Luo then gives a performance herself, which I'm like,、uh, "Who are you? And why do you know everything? Like she seems to know everything for this drama." In any case, while or before she starts performing, 
Gao Guifei and Chu Guiren are looking rather smug because they think they've won. However, Ying Luo puts on a freaking magic show where she makes the Buddha Tower magically appear in the hall, amazing everyone. But they notice that the relic, or the Shulizi, is gone. Ying Luo then follows up by saying that she purposefully decided to <laughs> quote-unquote move the relic separately because of just how valuable it is. Ying Luo then announces that the relic was placed on Shu Guiren's person. Shu Guiren wants to deny this and say, no, it's not on my person, but Ying Luo steps in and does some hocus pocus and just so happen to find the relic hidden in Shu Guiren's sleeve. Ying Luo immediately grabs the relic and lo and behold, it's there. The saga with the stolen Shu Lizi or relic is resolved and Shu Guiren and Gao Guifei can only fume that their little plot didn't work. Like I said, for those of us who have watched their fair share of palace dramas, I really don't think this scene worked too well because there were so many plot holes and too many coincidences for it to work, but I'm pretty sure they just wanted to, you know, make Ying Luo seem way more badass and it, it worked. She even knows how to, you know, do some magic tricks, so good, good for her. Come on, those magic tricks did not explain themselves at all. <laughs> <laughs> like the the words that just show up to say happy birthday I was like, like oh. mm. okay well the whole point of this little adventure was to force Mingyu to work together with Wei Yingluo as they are now unlikely allies finally Mingyu you can stop being so short sighted and kind of come to appreciate Yingluo although She's only doing it because she, you know, looks better at the end. The other point of this scene was for Ying Luo to enact on her plan to push the Empress into the limelight. The reason being is that Shu Guren was supposed to spend a night with the Emperor, which is a reward for her thoughtful birthday gift earlier over the course of that day or that evening or the couple days. But... This Shu Guiren insulted Ying Luo, so Ying Luo decided to take her revenge by foiling her perfect night. Back at Changchun Gong, Ying Luo brings forth a dress named the Luo Shen dress to the Empress. The dress is so named for the Luo Shen goddess, which we will discuss in more detail. If you recall, the Empress painted two paintings for the Emperor's birthday, but kept the Luo Shen painting instead of gifting it. The Empress explains that it was not appropriate for the festivities, but Ying Luo and the rest of the maids in the palace persuade the Empress to change into the Luo Shen outfit to dance. Well, the Empress originally only agreed to put it on, and then after much cajoling by all of her maids, the Empress finally agrees to dance. And while I think she looks great, her hair is done differently, she also has very interesting makeup with petals drawn onto her forehead, it's quite stunning and very different from her usual attire. But because the scene brought quite a bit of commentary when it first aired, we will talk about what happened. From my side, it is that despite the Empress dancing beautifully and looking fantastic in this scene, 
One cannot help but be reminded of the fact that this scene is eerily similar to the scene from Chen Huan Zhuan or Empresses in the Palace, which I referenced constantly in our podcast, uh, when Chen Huan danced the Jing Hong Wu, complete with the same long sleeves. Well, not exactly the same, but you know, you got my gist. And I'm going to be honest, I do think that Sun Li probably did a better job dancing in that drama than in this drama. I think Qin Lan, the actress for The Empress, is beautiful, but you could tell she didn't have a fully choreographed dance for this scene, unlike Sun Li did in Zhen Huan Zhuan. I won't take the time now to also squabble a little bit about the background music that they played in this drama when The Empress was dancing. It's a beautiful piece. It's a beautiful piece, but um, the song is Gong Qiang Liu, which in an earlier episode, Shu Guiren was singing in the palace gardens trying to catch the attention of the emperor. The emperor, hearing this and the lyrics, roundly criticized Shu Guiren for dancing to such a, um, or singing, sorry, to a provocative song. And the emperor was like, what are you doing? Who are you trying to seduce? So, why do they have kind of this song that was roundly criticized in the drama by the emperor to be the background music for the empress dancing? Yes, she is very beautiful. And yes, I guess the subtext is trying to catch the emperor's attention. But I thought it was kind of like poor taste. There are other... um, pieces of music in the original soundtrack that they probably could have used here. Or the people putting this drama together didn't analyze this <laughs> episode as closely as we are right now. This breathtaking scene is encountered by none other than the emperor who is absolutely besotted at how lovely his empress looks. He immediately takes her inside the rooms for ahem, a closer look. Mingyu and Yinglu are all basically giving each other high fives that their plan worked because they most definitely steered the emperor over to Changchun Gong. And with that, the empress enjoys the company of the emperor for the evening while poor Shu Guiren, who had prepared elaborately for her night with the emperor, was told to go home. Needless to say, she was humiliated and devastated. Aww, too bad. Honestly, I feel like she has the ambition, but not enough brains to really succeed in the palace as of yet. Er Qing, though, was quick to pick up on the fact that what happened tonight was not by chance. This must have been planned for a long time by Wei Yingluo because the outfit that she presented to the Empress was tailored specifically for the Empress. Tonight was just the opportune night to bring it out because Shu Guiren was just too obnoxious. Oh. Isn't it so sweet? She absolutely adores the Empress, weighing while I'm talking about, and did everything she could to help her gain favor. This is why the Ling Hao CP, the couple pairing for Weying Luo and the Empress, is way more powerful than almost any other pairing in this drama. Well, with the success of the Empress that night, the entire palace is abuzz with how beautiful the Empress was, and everyone is hoping to copy her style, complete with clothing and makeup. Shu Guiren is, of course, furious with how her special night turned out and goes off to complain at Gao Guifei. 
Gao Guifei gives Shu Guirin another chance to be useful and turn this around in their favor, or else mm, Shu Guirin's out of luck. Once again, these ladies are up to their palace tricks while literally no one else is. It's kind of like Yingluo's over there with her own subplot of revenge. The empress is just being a beautiful, kind empress. And this Gao Guifei and Shu Guirin are like, hmm, we need more favor. What can we rile up? And everybody, this is again, refreshing. Nobody else is doing anything. <laughs> well, one day, Yingluo is told to accompany the empress as well as the empress dowager, who has finally returned to the palace to go for a walk in the gardens. Yay, we have the Empress Dowager back again. Chen Huan is back. <laughs> Gao Guifei is also in attendance, as is Shu Guirin. They partake in a leisurely stroll, and the Empress Dowager is shown here to be a kind woman. But despite her smile, her words carry quite a bit of weight as she compliments the Empress. And you can see Gao Guifei being like, ugh. <laughs> the group of ladies are enjoying some time in the gardens when they hear a scream nearby. Immediately, Gao Guifei instructs her maids to check it out, or the one maid to check it out, and she bolts off. Ying Luo, sensing something was off, drags Ming Yu to chase after the maid. It's cute. It seems like Yingluo and Mingyu are friends now. She was like, I need my partner. Let's go. <laughs> she literally drags Mingyu off. And Mingyu's like, what? Why do I have to get involved? Part of me thinks that Wei Yingluo must be really tired all the time, like fending off threats for the Empress, but that's, that's a story for another time. In any case, Mingyu is able to stall the other maid from heading over to the scene of the whatever happened, and Yingluo runs over to find a maid's body on the ground. Evidently, this maid fell from one of the floors above. Two maids with painted flower makeup in the middle of their forehead that invokes the Empress's look from that special night rush to the ground floor as well. Yingluo places a handkerchief over the deceased maid's face before the Empress Dowager and company can arrive. The two maids, kneeling on the ground now, next to their friend's body, tearfully cry that this was an accident. But they behave rather oddly. One of the maids say that the three were all just playing because they were playing a dress-up game that originated in Changchun Palace, but they didn't realize that this game would cause such a heartbreaking mistake. The Empress Dowager gives a side-eye to the Empress, who can only hold her breath. This looks really bad for the Empress because it may mean that she is the reason behind this poor girl's death if this were true. Yingluo's alarm bells went blaring off and she interjects that from the looks of her makeup, the deceased maid was probably trying to dress up as noble consort Yang or Yang Guifei and fell accidentally. She interjects this to push any suspicion away from the Empress. As to why this maid would dress up as Yang Guifei, Yingluo skillfully turns the suspicion onto Gao Guifei, who has been singing Guifei Zuijiu, or the drunken concubine, which features Yang Guifei and we've talked about in previous episodes. The look of shock on Gao Guifei's face is hilarious. 
she's like, why did this turn on me? And I mean, I think she's secretly fuming like, Shulgren, you are such an idiot. You know, if we compare this again to Empresses in the Palace, man, Galgufi right now is just like a worse version of Huafei and uh, Shulgren is just not up to snuff. <laughs> I mean, I think I would do better than Shulgren here. Yingluo totally then insults Galgufi by emphasizing all the reasons why this is plausible. It's because Galgufi constantly sings opera in her palace. Galgufi knows a lot of operas, and I'll discuss them a little bit later. To the point that apparently, or as Yingluo says, she's better than the professional opera singers out there. Under the back and forth between Mingyu and Yingluo, Gao Guifei is backed into a corner since the Empress never dressed up as Yang Guifei. To prove her point, Yingluo removes the handkerchief covering the dead maid's face and reveals a face smeared with red and black paint. This is more typical of opera singers at the time to paint their faces. Gao Guifei and Shu Guirin are in shock as to why this would be the case, because they were hoping um, for the maid to have the Hua Dian, or the plum blossom makeup, on her face, and we'll discuss more of that later. The Empress Dowager gives these two ladies a side eye before sternly saying Hui Gong or return. The episode ends with Gao Guifei and Shu Guirin foiled one more time in their plot to get rid of Wei Yingluo. And Yingluo asks the Empress to interrogate the remaining two maids to figure out exactly what happened. I do like the Empress Dowager's aura and presence when she said Hui Gong or return because at that point, Gao Guifei knew that she was in big trouble. All right, now let's move on to some history and there is quite a bit of fun history for this episode to discuss. The most prominent is, of course, Luo Shen. Luo Shen is also known as the goddess of the river Luo. She was also called consort Fu or Fu Fei. Legend has it, she was the daughter of the mythical emperor Fu Xi. She drowned when crossing the river and then transformed into a river deity. She guards the rivers and is prayed to for safe crossing. In Chinese culture, she's also known for her stunning beauty. This goddess was first mentioned in the verses of Chu or Chu Tzu, which began roughly in the 3rd century BC. The anthology was first created by Chu Yuan. Perhaps the most famous depiction uh, of Luo Shen is Cao Zhi's Rhapsody of Luo Shen or Luo Shen Fu. Cao Zhi lived in 182 uh, AD to 232 AD. Luo Shenfu is a rhapsody that describes a fictional encounter between him and the goddess. They fall in love, but have to tragically depart. There is an accompanying series of paintings by the painter Gu Kaizhi that depicts the rhapsody. The surviving rendition is a copy from the Song Dynasty, and this series is actually currently residing in the Palace Museum in Beijing. Now in the drama, I can't really tell the exact painting that the drama is referencing because it was too quick of a shot in episode 20, so we can't provide comment, but 
we can discuss the costume that the Empress wears in episode 21. There are dramas and stories about Luoshen, and I do think we've talked about this before in Empress of the Palace. Uh, the Empress in that drama actually did play Zhen Fu in a drama for Luoshen. So it's an older drama, but might be interesting uh, to watch if you're interested. So let's go back to the costume. Honestly, when this episode came out, everybody in China, including the actress herself, ridiculed that outfit. What? Why? Yeah, I don't remember well, this. Right. Remember well, this. why? I'm reading some comments and they're quite hilarious because um, here is uh, some of the, let's say, friendlier comments. Some say her hairstyle looks like have a croissant. I mean, it kind of does. <laughs> and then people were like, why are there three huge flowers added? Pink in of all colors. It just looks tacky. The actress, Tin Lan herself, posted a photo apparently comparing herself to Peppa Pig because she thought they looked similar. I mean, honestly, the, the blue and the pink and kind of her lipstick, it didn't really do it for me. Really? I thought she looked great. Uh, yeah, no. Listeners, tell us what you think. <laughs> but joke is on all of us because... We found out online that there is a pretty good comparison between the Empress's outfit in this episode to a Yuan Dynasty painting depicting Luo Shen. The hairstyle is surprisingly similar. There might not be the whole flowers thing, but the hair, yes, it's in a similar shape. So I guess we're just gonna have to keep with the half croissant hair. <laughs> As for the outfit, in the drama in episode 20, Wei Yingluo previously asked to use Ji Hu Si or Ji Si to make a piece of clothing for the Empress, which turns out to be this Luo Shen outfit. Ji Hu Si comes from the village of Nanxun in the Zhejiang province of China. It is considered one of the most prestigious silks. Historically, the golden and yellow robes made for the emperor, could only use Zisi, which is the silk mentioned here. Nine robes by Emperor Kangxi, which is the grandfather of our current emperor, were specifically ordered from this area and using the silk. Indeed, the village became immensely wealthy throughout the centuries due to the silk business. According to Bai Ke, which is the Chinese version of Wikipedia, by the end of the Qing Dynasty, so early 20th century, this village was amongst the wealthiest in China. The original names for the silk, uh, or this type of silk, which is Zili Husi, originated all the way back in 602 AD, like as a version. It was not called Zili Husi. It grew in popularity during the Ming Dynasty and reached its peak popularity in the Qing Dynasty. So the fact that this type of silk is used for the Empress here is very era appropriate. Also on a side note, as I'm talking, Karen's over here like Googling the village and she's like oh. motioning to me to say, hey, maybe that's the next trip that we go to next time we go to China. If we can ever make our way to China. I know. <laughs> um, if you take a look at photos, it is a tourist attraction right now and they seem to have done a very good job preserving the historical buildings um, and the practice of making silk. 
Next, let's talk about the Hua Dian or the Plum Blossom makeup that the Empress dons. It's the red petals that she paints on uh, in the middle of her forehead. We discussed this actually a bit during our Mulan discussion episode and also in a couple of episodes for Empresses in the Palace. The origins of this type of makeup actually come around the Songwu dynasty in the south. One princess, Shouyang princess, was sleeping and flower petals landed on her forehead. She couldn't peel them off, but after three days, they finally washed off but left five petal marks on her forehead. Her maids and other ladies in the palace thought it looked lovely and all wanted to mimic the style. And so, the plum flower style was born. It was very fashionable to draw flower shapes on one's forehead and it persisted well into the Tang and Song dynasties. Immensely popular in the Tang dynasty and so many dramas have this type of makeup of varying detail. And last part of the outfit is the collar or yunjian that the empress wears, uh, which is definitely has a more miao minority influence rather than the traditional Han influence, let alone Manchu influence. We will talk about yunjian more uh, in the future, or these are considered cloud collars, uh, maybe during an episode where there's not as much history to discuss. But Let's just say it is very interesting um, for them to have this yunjian featured. And you will notice that many of the women in this drama have gorgeous yunjian in their outfits. All right, next up, let's talk a little bit more about the Chinese opera that is featured in this episode. When Shu Guiren goes to find Gao Guifei, Gao Guifei is singing again from The Drunken Concubine, or Guifei Zuizio. We discussed this at length in the last episode. She sings, Of course, this is me speaking it plainly, or the lyrics. She, of course, is singing, I think, in the Quinn Manor, but... I am not sure. There's a whole mix, like I said in the last episode, between Quinn Opera and Jing Opera. These phrases roughly translate to Sitting idly in the palace for several years, I had the emperor's favor first. The palace is cold and lonely, and he has left the Chang'e, or the moon goddess, to sleep by herself. These lines come directly from the Peking opera version of The Drunken Concubine. The later lines that Gao Guifei sings when Shu Guiren takes her leave also come from that opera. So again, we talked about Guifei Zuizio, um, and it featured prominently in episode 20. So here again, we sing, or we have Gao Guifei sing lines from that specific opera. Now, when Wei Yingluo is hurriedly trying to um, work with Mingyu to throw Gao Guifei under the bus, they list two other operas uh, in order to clear the Empress's name. The first one is Changsheng Dian, and the other one is Ba Wang Bie Ji. Changsheng Dian, or uh, my translation is Palace of Eternal Youth, was written in 1688 and it was primarily acted as a Quinn opera. 
The first half again recounts the love story between the Emperor Tang Xuanzong and the concubine Yang Guifei, but it is also a criticism on the lavishness of the palace and basically the emperor's dismissal of his empire, leading to the Anshu Rebellion. The second half is a fantasy in which the emperor is very remorseful for the death of his love, and he goes and finds her soul. Both repent for their sins, and their love touches the gods, and they are allowed to meet again in the Moon Palace. So I think this is kind of like fantastical, but another story about Tang Xuanzong and Yang Guifei, as Karen mentioned earlier, that's like a popular, popular topic. Now this opera Changshengdian is much more era appropriate for the drama. Indeed, it was written during the Qing Dynasty. And this Quin opera is or serves as the inspiration for the Peking opera, The Drunken Concubine. As a side note, I know we're talking about the opera, but the author story of the opera is crazy. I won't really provide much details, but I'll just end with that fact that he died by drunkenly drowning in a river. <laughs> Poor guy. Okay. Now, lastly, let's discuss. Ba Wang Biaji or Farewell My Concubine. Now, this is a complete anachronism. The Peking Opera debuted in 1918 and recounts the tragic love story between Xiang Yu, the hegemon king of Western Chu during the Chu Han contention period of China, and his beloved concubine Yu Ji. So, um, Xiang Yu or in Chinese, we would also call him as Sichu Ba Wang, was in a contentious war against Liu Bang, who was the founder of the Han Dynasty. You can guess who won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it does not end well for Xiang Yu, the king of Western Chu, or Yu Ji. They both die at uh, the final battle. Um, so again, they lost, and that's why we have the Han Dynasty. The opera draws heavily from history and another Ming Dynasty opera. Ba Wang Biaji is probably one of the most famous operas or Chinese operas in the past century, and it was written by their creator Mei Lanfang. This opera is not to be confused with the possibly more famous movie in the West, the 1993 film *Farewell, My Concubine*. The name, the Chinese name, is the same, and the opera *Ba Wang Biaji*, the Beijing, the Peking opera, is heavily featured in that film. The film is directed by Chen Kaige, and it is a really good movie. I recommend those who have never seen it to do so. I think we also did a plug for it、um, previously when we talked about Peking opera. Just a warning: it's not a light movie, so、um, be aware if you're watching it with families. But I really, really like it because it gives a really good depiction of Chinese opera and life during the early decades of 20th century in mainland China. So again, the story of Ba Wang Biaji or Farewell My Concubine has been around for millennia because the real events happened in I think around like 200 BC, like a little before 200 BC. So that story has been around. But of course, it hasn't been. It wasn't made into a specific Peking opera, or the name 
of it was not used. So I get what the drama is trying to do, just to throw some names out for uh, some other famous operas. But uh, again, not era appropriate. However, if you do want to check out some of these operas, they are available on YouTube. So uh, if you have the time, please go check them out. And that is it for our podcast episode today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please remember to give us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to. And also feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or on our website. You can also email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. For those of you that are in the state and are looking for a platform to watch Chinese dramas or movies, please do check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, which has a number of shows and movies to watch with English subtitles for free. Online, you can access this via Jumo or XUMO, or on TV, you can access them on uh, Xfinity and Cox Contour. They also are available on Sling TV. Thanks again so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.